0: I am honored to have very talented Kevin Sures from Silicon Valley today for the interviews of notables and influencers. Kevin is a Silicon Valley innovator, serial entrepreneur, CEO, TV personality, and edutainer. Uh, Educator plus entertainer, all combined. Kevin has been featured by Business Week, Time, Fortune, Forbes, CNN, ABC, MSNBC, Fox News, and has keynoted hundreds of events from uh, Inc. 5000 to TED to the US Congress. He was a Inc. Magazine's Entrepreneur of the Year in 2009, a CNBC top innovator of the decade, World Economic Forum tech pioneer, chair of Silicon Valley Forum, Featured for five years on Tech TV's Silicon Spin. while he has a technical background with 93 worldwide patents. And I'm going to ask you whether those are all under your name or (laughs) co-owned. Mr. Ceres has pioneered work in the first cellular data smartphone. The first plastic multi-chip semiconductor packages. The first human-like AI virtual assistant. Soundproof drywall high R-value windows, AI-driven building management technology, AI-driven quality assurance automation, and the window retrofits of the Empire State Building and New York Stock Exchange for saving energy. So Kevin is also an accomplished music director, conductor, Broadway show, and musical producer, and a percussionist. He's actively developing high quality digital theater, virtual musical entertainment using green screen studios and advanced digital designs. And I'll ask about that later, okay. Uh, Kevin currently is CTO of AppVance.ai, which has developed groundbreaking AI-based autonomous software testing in a SaaS platform. He's also involved with companies addressing AI and robotics and automation, QA, security, IoT, and uh, sustainability, and sleep tech. Um, as a branding expert, that's me. I'm Joanne Tan, uh, CEO of 10 Plus Brand. is a full-service brand building, content creation, digital marketing, SEO company. Uh, we are recognized as one of the top digital marketing agencies in the San Francisco Bay Area. So I can't help branding Kevin as of now as a renaissance man in renaissance age okay first question tell me about your personal story your journey about why what how you get to be where you are today kevin
1: well thank you for that amazing intro joanne um sadly you used up the entire hour so no i'm (laughs) i'm kidding so um well, that's a great question. Look, I was I was born in upstate New York. My 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 dad worked for GE. I was around electronics the whole you know my my entire uh, while I grew up. And uh, I went to Rochester Institute of Technology uh, with a double E degree and came to Silicon Valley. And I came to Silicon Valley because it is absolutely the land of uh, great opportunity and technology. There is no better place in the world to develop technology than Silicon Valley. And uh, I quickly found myself, I started in the semiconductor industry, but quickly found myself doing a startup at age 29 or so. And, uh, and that was a smart cellular data phone called Air Communicator. Uh, and that was uh, back in uh, the early 90s. So we were very early. There was no internet yet. You had to talk to BBSs, if you remember what those are, and AOL and CompuServe and things like that but um and then i got the bug for that i got the bug for starting companies and inventing things and i'd say more than that i know you mentioned all the patents um i i i have tried to um wake up every morning not every morning but many mornings and say there is a pain point there's a serious pain point that humanity is facing how could technology address that And I don't care, and you can see across my patents, there's building materials, which we can talk about, which is really fun. There's sleep technology, there's body technology, there's obviously SaaS and software, there's hardware. Um, So I don't look at any of those as a barrier. I say there's a problem. I can see the problem. People face this problem. How can we solve it? And I think great companies and great inventions start with a pain point. They don't start with a solution. And, and I know, Joanne, in your business, you see this all the time. Companies bring you in, you go, this is a great solution. I don't know what it solves. There's <laughs> no problem, but it's a wonderful solution. And that's, uh, you know, that's the bane of a lot of startups, right? They have a great solution looking for a problem.
0: Yes, right. I totally agree with that. Okay. Are you the the holder of all these 90-some patents or are you cold? Yeah,
1: 93. So So most patents, as you know, even if you start a company, technically belong to the company when you're done. Like you invented it, your name is the lead inventor, you might bring others on, but you give those to the company. You have to give those to the company. That's part of your intellectual property agreement when you join a company, right? Even if it's a company you founded, ultimately you bring in investors and you know the company takes ownership of those patents so you know the vast majority of them are owned by companies or were sold like all of the patents on voice user interface design and technology which uh uh, which was the predecessor to siri if you go back into the late 90s these were done at general magic i built the team that did that i was the lead inventor on virtually all of these patents they ultimately got sold to nathan mirvold and nathan at Intellectual Ventures, uh, uh, license them to Apple and Google and Microsoft and everybody else who's in the voice user interface business or the artificial intelligence business. Yeah, yeah, artificial, not artificial intelligence, our our artificial uh, uh, helper, we'll say, right, like a Siri.
0: Okay, so uh, still very impressive. Okay, Um, among all the things you have done, what are your most important and most proud of?
1: I'm most proud of marrying my lovely wife, Erica. <laughs> so
0: okay,
1: everyone should be proud when they, 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 they have a great partner in, 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 in life in all aspects of their life. Look, um, I am very proud of some of the music productions and uh, uh, that I've been involved in uh, on a on a national level, uh, writing and conducting a, one show called 2AM at the Sands, another one is uh, Broadway and more, so I, I love that. I'm very proud of the art side of what we do. I'm also, uh, from, a, from a technology standpoint, which probably more people are interested in, um, of all of the software and hardware technologies I developed, I'm probably most proud of some of the building technology uh, uh, things that that uh, that I got to work on, including. The invention of soundproof drywall and and uh, high R-value windows, uh, high R-value windows. We retrofitted the Empire State Building. Did it in just uh, about uh, five months. Reused all the glass in in the in the building. Took it out, cleaned it all on the fifth floor. Built a built a factory. Put it all back up and increased the resistance to heat flow, or increased the insulation from R two to R eight. So a four hundred percent increase. Uh, those windows paid back in under three years, and they're still on the Empire State Building today. So that's a, I mean, you have to be proud. It's the Empire State Building. I think um, I think obviously you can be proud of all the, the work for, you know, that predated Siri because nobody had done that kind of work before. Our system was called Portico. The, the female's name was Mary, was actually her name in real life, by the way. And she's absolutely fantastic person to work with. Um, so it was her voice that, that you would hear. We had millions of people on that system, so I'm proud of that. And then lastly, I'd say I'll pick one more is a soundproof drywall because that was really a pain point. Um, It started with recording studios, but it turned out multifamily homes and hotels and all of that. When you can hear the people in the room next to you is not only a problem, people sue if they bought that condo and they can hear the people next to them. So we invented a drywall that uh, was virtually soundproof. Uh, and, uh, people said it couldn't be done, um, but it can be done. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, uh, it's become, you know, just a billion dollar seller now over many, many years. And so, uh, over the last 20 years or so. And so I'm, uh, I, every hotel that you go into that's new uses soundproof drywall, every condo, anything that's been built in the last 10, 15 years uses soundproof drywall.
0: Wonderful. Okay. So failure is the mother of success. What are the most profound quote unquote failures that you have learned from?
1: That, that that's you great. Like
0: to, Yeah, you would like to share with me. Great.
1: great job. Uh, well, <clears throat> look, um, as much as I'm proud of soundproof drywall windows and all that, that was all done at a company called Sirius Materials. But Sirius Materials was writing its S1, had its bankers, and was ready to go public in uh, you know, 2010, 2011, in that era. And then that materials and clean tech space um, sort of blew up on Wall Street. And all the banks got rid of all their clean tech people, all their sustainable people at that moment in time, right, this is 10 years ago. And so we had this amazing public offering that was going to be a billion dollar plus you know, market cap on day one and all of a sudden we had no outlet for a public offering. We would have to eventually raise some money or whatever, and we ended up selling the company to actually five different companies. We split the company up and sold it. But, uh, and, and, and while it got sold for decent money, it was nowhere near what it could have gone public for. And today, had that been a public company with the revenue that all those divisions that got split up are doing, it'd probably be worth $10 billion. So we came this close, and it shows you, certainly in Silicon Valley, but in others, Everything has to go right for a sale to happen, for an acquisition to happen, for a public offering to happen. Uh, you know, We didn't have SPACs then. With SPACs you could get away with not everything's right, you still take it out. But with, um, with a real IPO, you know, the market had to be primed and the market had to be ready and there had to be no negative situations in the rest of the market and bankers had to be in place and you know, just there's sort of everything. And IPO windows open and then they just shut. And when they shut for an industry, they could shut for years. And when it shuts for years and you were ready to go public, it just destroys all your plans. Right. And uh, and and we were nearing profitability, very successful company, had 500 employees, six plants. So, um, you know, very proud we got to that point. But had we gotten to that point just one month sooner, we would have been successful. But we failed in in, you know, in that outcome for our investors. And we failed for our investors, we failed for our employees. I was the CEO, it falls on my back. I missed that timing and we should have, we should have been there just a little sooner. So um, um, while the products continue to be a, you know, a multi-billion dollar success, we didn't have the success we, we could have had.
0: OK. Well, thank you for that candidness you know, and sharing the lessons because actually those learning lessons you know, are going to be helping a lot of entrepreneurs. So you invest in startups. Any unicorns and what made you spot them as the unicorn before they become successful?
1: Yeah, um, well, the, the, the biggest uh, unicorn, uh, most recent unicorn that I invested in, I invested in about 10 years ago um, at 40 cents a share in their seed round was the very first set of investors for small seed round. And then it went public and it's hanging around 230 or 240 dollars today up from 40 cents. That was Coinbase. And uh, so Coinbase was an excellent investment and we got uh, very, very lucky. So why did I invest in Coinbase? Well, here's the answer. <clears throat> I could not tell 10 years ago whether Bitcoin or any other coin or any other cryptocurrency would necessarily be successful or how to pick the ones that would be successful. But I did know there had to be an exchange to exchange them. You had to get dollars out of them at some point. And so um, it was a little bit like, uh uh, investing in the California Gold Rush. Don't invest in the gold miners. Invest in the picks and shovel companies because they're selling to everyone. Coinbase had to sell to everybody. Everybody had to use Coinbase for the longest time. It was the only place you could trade. And so that was sort of obvious that you could put money to work there. And if there was any play at all, it would pay off. Right. And it turns out there was a plane. It did pay off. Now, there were many, many cryptocurrencies that have gone absolutely nowhere, maybe the majority of them. And there are a few, as you know, Joanne, because I know you love this field. There's a few that have gone through the roof and may go up another 10x, 20x, 50x because it's a supply and demand situation. We know how that works. Yes. So, uh uh, it's a fascinating feel. So, so to me, it was literally stepping back and saying there is a pain point. There are people, you know, mining Bitcoin at the time with no way to turn it into anything. And here's an exchange. It's the only one at the time. Two, two guys in a, you know, startup out of, out of Y Combinator. And I go, well, that, that'll probably work because <laughs> someone's got to exchange it. It's a pretty good idea, right? Um, so there's a real pain point. I, you know, look for real pain points that are huge. Um, <clears throat> look for the right market timing. Bill Gross uh, uh, fa- famously did an analysis of, at the time, about 180 companies he invested in uh, in Southern California and, uh, uh, to, to look at what was the most successful, what was the be- who had the best outcomes. Turns out, surprisingly, it wasn't about the team, it wasn't about their educational background, it wasn't about their experience, it wasn't about the money they raised uh it it wasn't about the technology it really came down to one thing every time market timing they happened to get that pain point right at that moment in time they they had maybe first mover advantage or just when their product was working good enough that's when the market expanded whatever facebook would be a good example of that right coinbase is a great example of that market timing is everything and almost no amount of money can beat market timing And you'll never be able to raise enough money. So we see, and you see, and I see, incredibly talented people uh, in Silicon Valley and outside of Silicon Valley building amazing companies only to see the company fold. And you go, but that guy or that gal or those people are so smart. I don't understand it. They are smart. It doesn't say that they're not smart. The market timing wasn't right. And by the way, it might be right a year later, and they just couldn't hang on long enough, right? We don't know. Uh, And I see that companies go under and then a year later, the space is on fire. Okay, we saw this in the food delivery space. So, you know, food delivery was sort of okay about 10 years ago. And then it just went through this nuclear winter and nobody wanted it. And all the startups were shut. Ghost kitchens were shuttered, everything. COVID came. And now anyone who's in that business is all of a sudden worth $50 billion, right? (laughs) Well, Well, 20 companies went under. And they wish they had just if had they saved their money and lasted the market timing eventually got there.
0: Yes, yes. Now here's the question: Is the right product at the right <clears throat> time with the right amount of money that you have, you know, uh, to make the dream come true? And how much is the luck? Well, that's 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 all luck.
1: Well, the, you could say all luck. I mean, obviously. Um, well, I'll give you Bill Gross's point was. He had several teams that he would not rank as his best team at all. They were not the smartest, the most aggressive. They didn't hire the best people and they still had a huge success because of market timing. Mm -hmm. So again, market timing sort of trumped everything. You could have a pretty lackluster product, but at that moment in time, there's a need for it. So, you know, an example would be grocery delivery in the middle of COVID. If you had stock, you had customers. If you had stock, you had customers, and if by chance you had started your company a week before COVID, and you had a warehouse, and you had toilet paper, you could sell all you had, right? Market timing killed it, crushed it. Um, this, but look, this is true of Peloton. Peloton, by chance, market timing was right. Zoom, market timing was right. Zoom was doing fine, but they were you know, there with blue jeans and a bunch of other people, right? A Lot of people in that space competing against the big guys. And the market timing just happened to be right, and they had ease of use on their side. And what everyone in their grandmother—literally, their grandmother—ran to Zoom. Said, oh, "I can use. It. I can push the button. It comes up, yeah. right?" And then Microsoft had to get in the game, and Google's late to the game. I mean, I don't know. Does anyone use Google Meets? I don't know. Does anyone even use Blue Jeans anymore? Blue Jeans was a huge yeah. network. I, no, I, I don't
0: mean know, Zoom. Yeah. So, uh, market timing. Now that leads to another question: Is that most of the CEOs, the entrepreneur, startup owners, they value too much on their ideas and their technology? Yes, they do. They fail to really use to use the mindset of marketing, branding, and establish your uh, product market fit, and decipher the signals of the market before everybody else. You know, so that part um, actually is the marketing part Sure. and they, they don't even bother having a cmo until they're like is in, in b round uh, you know or even later so that's a problem they, they, they're well, not they're not visionary enough
1: it is but here here's here's the reason i think that's always been by the way and smart companies know that they need uh, a, a branding and differentiation and messaging and those all have to be tested But the problem is most tech startups anyway are started by tech people, engineers. They're not marketeers. And engineers by nature, someone's gonna probably write to me and yell at me, but I've certainly been this. Engineers by nature invent their thing, get their thing working, and they think it is the best thing in the world. I don't care if it's a plastic box. It is the best plastic box in the world, right? It is the best SaaS software in the world. It is the best crypto thing. It is the best that is the... So they've convinced themselves. Now, that level of ego is actually partially important because it keeps you going every morning. You sort of need that belief. We believe we're doing the right thing. But smart people who have written about this for a long time, actually step back and say, I of course think it's the best, that's by nature. But I now have to do testing and I've gotta circle that around and get that feedback loop very, very tight. So I've gotta get out there, test the product, test messages, and within days come back around and say, that feedback's not working. And you know, some people use focus groups. Now we do a lot online, we do surveys, we push stuff out online, we get free freemium offers, whatever it is, right? You have gotta get that client, that customer feedback. You gotta see what messages sell and which don't sell, which ones convert and which don't convert. I'm telling you, your job, you know, you do this for people. Um, and then you have to listen to it. And you, I, I wanna make that feedback loop days, not weeks and months, days. I mean, make it very, very, very quick so that you can iterate on your product. Now, what a lot of what I see a lot of people do is they'll hire you, you come you you put I'm going to make it up, you know, five different ads out there. You get all this feedback, you come back around, you show them what people want. It turns out they want some different features as it turns out. Then and, and they go and, and and the the entrepreneur goes, "Oh, they're wrong." Well, that's a view. <laughs> that's one view. <laughs> let me give you another view that feedback is is invaluable and those who listen to it you know what your your clients your customers can't design your product but they can tell you their pain points yeah so there's no customer who designed steve jobs iphone or apple's iphone right nobody did de- but steve could watch people and say this is actually a pain point they actually need their email they don't know they need their email when they're standing out there but they do and they and they need." Texts and they need messaging and actually they need to today with the web They need to surf the web and they need you know So he could see these were pain points that people couldn't exactly articulate But they were real pain points. They couldn't design your product for you So don't look for your customer to design the product But look for your customer to tell you their pain points and then when they use your product say this is what's working for me And this is what I don't understand right and you know they, customers say real quickly they say oh i don't understand you go oh well that customer's stupid okay that's also of you but that's your customer and they were going to buy from you right. and they won't buy from you if you call them stupid so if that's who you're selling to you got to fix the product
0: they need those entrepreneurs startup owners okay the ceos they need that outside their own forest <clears throat> perspective because they're so deep into uh, developing their their products which are like they're babies, okay? They don't have an objective point of view. So they need people outside of their uh, vision, peripheral vision, to to tell them what is wrong with this product market fit, you know, why is it not the Agree. best fit? What are the pain points? So they need people like us, okay? Anyway, next question,
1: AI. Yes. Hire Joanne. (laughs) No, I mean, you you need need a separate set of eyes. Don't, don't, Don't forget, you know, Tiger Woods has a coach. And you go, the coach can't play nearly as good as Tiger Woods. He doesn't have to. He's got a set of eyes, and he can see what's going on to improve what Tiger Woods is doing. Okay. If Tiger Woods can have a coach for that, you can have someone who looks at the product market fit, who talks to potential customers, who gets feedback, who looks at different ads and different messages and finds out how customers reply and come back to you with a third-party view that you can't you can't see yourself. And frankly, you don't even want to see because you believe so much in what you're doing, but you need to see because that's how you'll be successful.
0: That's right. Even the best surgeon cannot operate on himself, okay? Yeah. He well, he can be- once, <laughs> yeah. but it ends badly. Yeah, yeah, we all have our blind spots. We need others to help us, you know. So number five question, AI. What do you think about the prospect that AI may become the master of humanity?
1: Yeah, not in our lifetime, um, I, I think, you know, I always split AI into what Hollywood does and what really happens. Uh, what Hollywood does is ex machina and it takes over everything and blows up the world and whatever. But actually, that's we're nowhere near that. Where we are today is very, <clears throat> very, very succinct vertical solutions. Um, speech recognition uh, uh, is, is, is a great example that has improved dramatically. Image recognition, these sorts of things. Um, learning from huge databases, building out a neural net, and and then applying that to future data. We are very good at that now. We're getting extremely good at it. Um, uh, So for instance, today, you know, we can teach an AI to recognize a cat out of millions of images by training it on millions or billions of cat images, right? Saying cat, 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 cat. Okay, great. However, now if you throw a chair at the AI, and it never trained on a chair, it can just say it's not a cat, but it actually doesn't know what it is. It has no clue because we haven't trained it on it. That's the limit of our technology. More than that, um, you could show it some hair from a cat and it wouldn't know what that is because it didn't train on hair. You could It could hear a meow and it would go, I don't know what that is because I wasn't trained on the sounds of a cat. Does that make sense? And it can't tie these different realms together yet, although we're starting to work on that. Now, that's where we actually are in actual AI is very, very limited to solving specific problems. When you look at AI in a driverless vehicle, you're trying to solve many, many, many different problems with many different, we'll say AI engines or many different neural nets and probably some traditional AI as well, uh, you know, across dozens of, of, of computers or GPU systems. That's what you're doing. You're solving these things the way, the way a human would. You're, you're listening to sounds, you're looking ahead, you might be getting LiDAR data, et cetera, et cetera and so um you're trying to solve problems the way humans do but very limited so forget this idea that there's going to be a robot like me that that could have this kind of you know rapid fire conversation and then go over and push the nuclear button not going to happen not in our lifetime and there's just no sense of this it's so far away do
0: you think ai will ever acquire the human critical thinking and the creative skills
1: well, here's the problem. So scientists today don't understand exactly <clears throat> how humans can jump from one domain to another and think outside the box by leveraging their knowledge of one domain and putting it in another domain, right? That's a very unique skill, although it's not just unique to humans. Um, there there are, are, are probably other animals and things that can do that, but, but we can do that you know, sort of innately. We see something coming towards us and we can, we can pretty well figure out, even if we've never seen it before, if it's dangerous to us or not. Even though we've never seen that thing before, right? Doesn't matter. We go, huh, I've never seen a lion coming towards me, but a lion is a bad thing. Now AI doesn't do that at all. If it wasn't trained to recognize a lion, it would say, well, there's something coming towards me. I don't know what I do. I, it's not something I've seen before. So we could program it to say, if you don't know what it is, run. But, but it actually doesn't know what it is, right? So, so you have all these problems. Uh, um, so, there, so there's that and also what, what scientists don't know, we don't understand is how do we actually have um, sensing and feeling and true emotions, right? Um, how are we sentient, truly sentient? We are aware of ourselves, we're aware that we live and die, we're aware of our finite existence, we're aware of things that are dangerous to us, could harm us I mean, um, and we have feelings. we have compassion, we have empathy. Now back in the 90s when we built portico and Mary, we programmed Mary to sound like she had empathy, just like Siri does. So people would say, Mary, um, I would like to marry you. you're you're so sexy or whatever it is And she'd say, oh, thank you. and we'd have uh, you know, a dozen different replies to make her sound like... She was empathetic to what they were saying. Mm-hmm. However, she wasn't actually empathetic. It was just a subroutine. <laughs> it's a randomized saying, uh, well, I randomized and waited. And, you know, you said, well, I already used that. So I'm going to use a different one until you've cycled through them. And then you do it again and you randomize it. So uh, that's how we fake empathy. But how do we actually have empathy? I have no clue. I, I, nobody does. I it, We don't know why we have empathy. Why do we actually care? Really care? I mean, physically care about another human who's, let's say, bleeding in the street. We actually care, we don't even know who they are, but they're human. If we, we, by the way, a cat bleeding in the street, we would feel the same way. You know, at some level, we'd say, I have to help this poor animal, I've got to get it to a vet, I've got to, whatever. Mm-hmm. Why do we have, why do we even have empathy? And, and how do you form that? I can program it and fake it. Yeah. How do you, for, so that's why we are so far away. I think to think outside the box, you probably have to have empathy. You have to have feelings. You have to you have to have been raised uh, in an environment where you were taking in literally terabytes of information every few seconds, the equivalent of terabytes of information. Right? It's fascinating.
0: You know, I think it's a it will be a saddest day for humanity that uh, AI will become the master of our life and humanity lose what they are created to be. Uh, So AI should be always a tool serving humanity, not the other way around.
1: Oh, well, let's flip it a little other way around. I agree with you, but let's flip it the other way around just for a counterpoint. It could be that humans are the scourge of the earth. We are destroying a planet. We don't actually care about this beautiful planet that that, uh, the heavens or whoever has given to us. You cannot
0: expect AI to save the planet. It has oh, to be maybe we now. can.
1: Maybe AI comes along, realizes that we're actually a virus, a bacteria, a fungus on this planet, eradicates us, and then fixes the planet and and designs its own uh, CO2 uh, absorbing mechanisms to that's reestablish the planet's balance.
0: That, that, if that's the case, that's my point. That's the end of humanity.
1: And maybe it should be. <laughs> That's my point. <laughs>
0: we can write a sci-fi about this. Okay. Maybe it
1: should be. Maybe okay. maybe we are actually a fungus that must be eliminated.
0: Oh, wait, that leads to my next, quest. next question. Okay? This pandemic is only the beginning. There will be more. What do you think the world should do to be more prepared? What are your predictions <coughs> about the future yeah. after this pandemic?
1: Well, um, surprisingly... Um, COVID uh, being a coronavirus um, was, uh, you know, a generally well understood uh, virus type and actually not that dangerous. I know that's a terrible thing to say with millions of people dead, but compared to what could come out, which could be some kind of airborne fungus that we have never seen before or potentially a bacteria, um, or some virus that is way outside of the, the, the realm of this thing. Uh, um, you know, the overall um, uh, uh, fatality rate of this thing, well, being in this call it 1% to 3% range, um, you know, it wasn't 90 or 100%. It wasn't Ebola. Now, you know, fortunately, Ebola doesn't seem to travel through the air, but how about an Ebola that traveled through the air and could travel hundreds of miles and infect everyone on Earth in a month and everyone dies? 100% fatality rate. That would be bad. That would be severely bad. So we were, this was a warning. I mean, I hate to say it. This was a warning sign. Now, what's the good news? The good news is that um, the U.S. government had funded mRNA research for a decade. And that allowed us to actually have a vaccine literally within a week or so of the virus Uh, DNA being released, right? So the virus being sequenced, it was sequenced, and we had a vaccine ready to go in a week. Now it had to go through three phases of trials, which in the future we might shorten because we now know how mRNA vaccines work. So maybe there's a chance to say in an emergency that's three weeks, it's not a year, but they actually had a working vaccine in a week. We could have made billions of those and gotten them out. No, almost nobody would have died, right? But we weren't ready to do that because mRNA is new. So this is a, a huge step forward in humanity. You remember in 1918, Spanish flu, we had no vaccines. There was no hope of vaccine. It just had to peter its way out over two years and eventually it did. And and it died and it actually turned into H1N1 which we have today. circulates around and we generally don't die from it. Um, One thing about, the last thing I'll say about viruses is often if they're given enough time they continue to mutate and they eventually mutate into uh, a form that generally doesn't kill its host. Now why is that? Well because the longer the host survives and spreads it, the more of it there is, right? So if you think about that the, 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 it makes no sense for a virus to quickly kill its host because then it can't get around. And so just Darwin itself would say, you need a host to keep walking around for months and giving it to everybody so that it spreads more. Does that make sense? And, and so H1N1 became not generally lethal. Um, even though the Spanish flu was, it slowly mutated into something that today we just call the flu. Doesn't really kill very many people, one in a thousand. It's not good, but it's fine. We live with that. So I think we're more prepared than we've ever been. Um, I think that we've got to have agencies, which, which are hard, you know, it's hard to do, agencies that are willing to say, in an emergency, uh, we are gonna come up with a protocol that approves an mRNA-based vaccine now that we have experience with it in, uh, you know, I'm gonna give you a number, in four weeks. And you create a protocol that does that and, uh, you know, whatever the deal is, maybe it's six weeks, but we can't wait a year. We're gonna to have to really condense that. Uh, because an awful lot of people died. The second thing is, and I'll just mention this, because this is sort of a techie program, uh, it is absolutely beyond my understanding how we can have apparently smart people, uh, Southwest Airlines pilots right now, um, healthcare workers, uh, saying they refuse to take the vaccine. They, 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 they're, they're happy taking horse dewormer in the form of ivermectin, but they won't get a vaccine. This is scary for humanity, okay? This is, this is a failure of the education system. It really is. You talked about critical thinking earlier. Clearly, critical thinking went out the window, and, and you were not taught to think critically. Instead, you're watching uh, whatever rolls by on Facebook, and you're believing them. That, that the vaccine uh, is, is full of nanoprobes or something. No, it's not full of nanoprobes. And no, it doesn't change your DNA. And please, that's not how the science works. Learn how the science works or trust the scientists. Mm-hmm. Trust the scientists who developed it and gave it to themselves and their family first. Now, they're not martyrs. They did that because they believe in it, right? So you got to believe in other humans. Well, you can't believe in anything. You believe everyone's a martyr and they're not. Anyway, no. that's it.
0: No matter how advanced a country's general education level, there will be people who are going to be anti vax. There will be people who refuse to do this. Now, that leads to a bigger question. If you rely on science only, on vaccine only, without the political mandate, the virus will just keep mutating. Okay. Sure. Now, you compare the statistics of China's fatality. And infection rate and with United States. And um, of course, they used the draconian measure, which I don't particularly care about, but they, they 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 were controlling it far better than any country on this planet. Okay. Now there is no answer to that question. Let's move on to the next one. Okay.
1: There is a little bit of an answer. Hang on. Because there is no question, while I deplore communism. There's no question that in certain circumstances it actually works better than a democracy. I agree. And in the case of a virus, it works great because you just say, if you leave your house, we'll kill you. And you go, okay, well, I don't, I'm exaggerating a bit, but you get the point, right? A country that says if you leave your house, we'll kill you clearly can squash a virus in a week. There's, there's nowhere for it to go. There's no, no human to see. Um, so, so when you can have those kind of mandates in certain circumstances, it works. Like I said, deplore communism in all its forms. On the other hand, we should acknowledge that there's times that that kind of draconian method actually saved lives. They actually saved lives, no question. And a few other countries who did something incredibly similar. Um, you know, New Zealand, which is a democracy, but, but clearly clamped down. Australia clamped down. I mean, we had some countries that do that. Here we value our freedom so much which is great. We all we all value that. But there are times that, you know, people have to wear a mask and have to get vaccinated and, and 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 have to not get together with family. I mean, look at this huge breakout in Hawaii, uh, you know, at the end of August and into early September. <clears throat> Basically, the residents of Hawaii who live there full-time just wanted to get together with their family. They were just done with COVID. And I understand that. But by getting together with their family, they had an, families, they had an entirely huge spike, huge spike, that was five, six, seven times higher, filled all the restaurants, uh, filled all the hospitals, excuse me, didn't fill the restaurants. And, and, and to, the, to the extent the governor had to say that, please, visitors don't come. Now, the visitors were not the ones that we're having COVID because they don't get together with anyone, they don't know anyone else there, right? It was the larger families that got together. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing the governor could say that would stop them. They just said, we don't care, we're getting together, we're celebrating our family, and if we all get it, we get it. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, humans are humans. What are you gonna lock them up?
0: Well, democracy and freedom is based on personal, individual accountability and responsibility. But if you don't have that personal responsibility and accountability, it breeds ignorance and it hurts the entire society.
1: Sure, absolutely. So,
0: so this is a philosophical question. Okay. Uh, Let's move on to the next one. Okay. Describe in detail your vision of the world with AI, social media, digital currency two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now.
1: Well, Look, AI is, is augmented intelligence, and um, the first thing it's doing is, there's, there's no question, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's allowing companies to be more concise and more predictive uh, with the data that they have. <clears throat> it is then, slowly with RPA, um, uh, which is a, 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 a techn- robotic process automation, which is technology that sort of replaces things like customer service and other things uh, that are repetitive, it is going after those lower end jobs first, so AI can replace some, you know, first level customer support, and it is it can replace uh, things like, uh, uh, you know, insurance uh, uh, people who have to. Uh, you know, look at the information when you've uh, gotten in a car crash, things like that, right? These claims processors, things that are highly repetitive. It's actually quite good at. So, over the next five to 10 years, those are the jobs that are at risk. On the other hand, um, society will get more productive. And most of those jobs in the US, those kinds of jobs were sent overseas anyway. And by the way, it's true with manufacturing. So, we're going to see those. Jobs coming back but being taken over by software or hardware robotics, if that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. So, because, look, why do we make things in China? Well, companies for the last 20 years went to China because you could get labor cheaply, period, full stop. There's nothing wrong with that. And China got very good at making things for us. As automation and robotics and AI and AI image detection, all of those things get better and better and cheaper and cheaper, well, then you can make it right here because I don't need any labor. Why would I pay any labor? Why would I pay even $2 an hour in China when I can pay $0 here? Just a machine, it'll run 24-7. So we're seeing this onshoring of lots of things. Um, Customer support, I sent it to India 15 years ago. Um, I sent it there because of cost, not for any other reason. Now I can have a technology do it and the AI is getting very good at doing it, so I'll just bring it back here. It starts with chatbots, and then it starts with true interaction, and then eventually it starts with literally it looks like a human, and, and we're very close to that. So, so those jobs are, 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 um, are gonna be taken, but mostly being taken from offshore. So that's not good for them, but probably it's probably fine for us. Second thing is, don't realize we are, um, we have 10 plus million jobs open in this country, in the United States and no one to fill them. Even though there's 8 million people out of work, they don't seem to want to fill those jobs. Uh, Most industries are facing a huge labor shortage over the next 10 to 20 years. Uh, simply because of the macroeconomic conditions of people with lower birth rates finally getting through high school. And so high school graduations are continuing to go down. College graduations are continuing to go down just because there's less people going in, not because they're not graduating, they're just less people in the system. And they're going down at a pretty rapid rate. And yet we have a need for more workers to produce more. And so this is diverging, right? We've got a problem. we got. Worker base going down, needs going up, so we have to get more productive. So AI is going to help us be more productive. This is all wonderful, and yes, over the next ten to fifteen years, we might finally have a real kitchen helper that's a robot that's AI that that does cook for us. I, you know, I'm waiting for that. It's technically almost practical and possible today, just a little pricey, but but I think we will actually get there. I want you know I want a robot in the kitchen that cooks and cleans. We don't want to do the dishes i don't want a dishwasher i want a dishwasher, right
0: i want it sooner than 10 years
1: yes we all we all do but in the next decade i think they'll become affordable we could build one today for a million dollars but we can't build one for ten thousand dollars that's the problem right so we got to get it to where it's priced reasonably and you probably won't buy it most of these kinds of robotic systems that use a lot of ai but also are physically robotic uh, we're going to lease. We're going to pay by the hour or pay by the month. And, you know, it might be $1,000 a month or $2,000 a month to have one of these things in your kitchen. And you'll decide, is this a good thing? Uh, oh, and they might be able to clean the house and, you know, do other tasks and fold laundry. And these are good things. These are, ne- these are, see, those are pain points, right? We know those are pain points. We know nobody actually wants to fold their laundry ever. Nobody ever said, I love folding laundry. Nobody ever said, I love ironing. Nobody loves those tasks. So um, you can see some of these tasks are uh, uh, getting taken on by relatively dumb systems, but smart enough to do that task, right?
0: Next question. Okay. So I'm an opera fan, right? This season, I'm really delighted to watch the uh, New York Met Opera live mm-hmm. performance in a Century 14 movie theater near yeah. my
1: home. That's right.
0: The round sound effects, a large screen, reclining chair, even warmed up, okay? And social distancing, too. Okay. I really don't feel like taking the bar to San Francisco Opera House, which I did for 25 weeks. I'm afraid the San Francisco box office will suffer a decline in ticket sales. So will many cities, opera houses Mm -hmm. throughout the world since the Met is streamed to around 27 countries more or less. And and many local cinemas there, people
1: just,
0: you know, so question number one, do you agree that technology in this case is helping with monopolies, the map, at the loss of local cities' opera houses or musicals' performances?
1: Yeah, well, obviously I'm I'm involved in a lot of this streaming stuff, including uh, working on a a project uh, with... uh, uh, with Steven Schwartz, actually, to stream something very large to theaters uh, later next year. So uh, uh, here's what I would say. <clears throat> While COVID accelerated this sort of digital access to amazing performances, it was going to happen anyway. What was keeping it from happening was, frankly, <clears throat> unions and agreements and uh, how the money gets split and all of these other things. It was not a technology problem. Right. We could we've been streaming to theaters for five or six or seven years. We could certainly stream even 4K to your home for the last four or five years and certainly 1080 for five years before that. So, so you say what's what's been keeping it wasn't a technology problem. It was all of these other things. Well, COVID made everybody figure out how to work. And so the unions had to figure out like you know, AFM, right? The Musicians Union you had to figure out how do I actually work in a streaming world? Because if I don't do this, my musicians aren't working. Like I have to find a way to do this, right? So everybody started looking at how they could create contracts and, and, and agreements that would work for everybody involved mm-hmm. and not just rely on a live audience. And that, when you look at that, that expands the audience and the opportunity. It expands the opportunity for people. There's a project I'm working on called PEN Performances, P-E-N. Um, private Entertainment Network Performances. Private. What's a private entertainment network? Private entertainment is where you can get on the system and you can pick from potentially hundreds of entertainers and they will provide a private performance to your household, all digital, two-way, just to you. Just to you. Private. Just to you. Now that's absolutely fascinating because ab- we've never had a way to do that. Even though we technically could have done it, COVID sort of pushed us to say, this is actually an expansion for the artist. So that artist now can perform worldwide without leaving their home. Worldwide. Mm-hmm.
0: But here's a well, there, there are some other issues. Uh, number one when someone if
1: wins, I, someone loses. I hear that.
0: Oh, yes. If I have a choice of watching the same opera, my choice is between the, the Met and San Francisco Opera House. Yeah. I look at the cast and uh, most likely I'll go with the Met because they just have more resources, okay? Sure. They have bigger stars. The, the, I the best, watch, one of the best in the world. My, my time is limited. I choose the best, okay? Now, if you do a live, imp- just for you, private show, <laughs> a woman, are you kidding me? You don't have that interaction with the audience. You don't, you cannot read. The- Actually,
1: it's full two way interactive, two way interactive with that audience, with your home. Virtually. Virtually. Oh, two way. Yeah. Okay.
0: So, the, uh, some follow up my question. Okay. So, isn't this consistent with the entire human society's trend r- right now toward monopolies such as Google, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, as well as in the political climate of sure. democracy, China, or, or whatever you call it, versus democracy?
1: Well, uh, when there are winners, there are losers. And what I mean by that is, if you just look at the amount of dollars spent on opera every year, you're gonna spend X amount of dollars, right? You aren't going to increase your expenditures, you're just going to spend those dollars in different ways. And since there's more ways to spend them, that means you took it away from someone else. So if you go to San Francisco, one or two times less, they didn't get your money. Now let me say this, there is something absolutely grand about live performance and being there, as you know, there's nothing like being at the opera or being at a Broadway show and being in the audience. There's there's nothing, nothing at home, nothing in a the theater replaces that. Yeah. Now, here's how I look at it for Broadway. Not everyone can go to New York City. Like you can't go to the Met every week because you don't live in New York City. Right. So this is bringing the Met to you, which is fantastic. Yeah. It is sad that you're it's taking some money from San Francisco because you've chosen to limit your time and expenses and everything else. But you otherwise could not have gone to the Met. But if you were in New York City, if you were in New York City, and you could just go to the Met, you'd probably go to the Met. Because it's live. And, and, you, and that just isn't as good, uh, that is a way better experience than the theater. But, yes. um, but but that's not available to you. The Taking the plane trip, going there, seeing the two-hour production, getting back on a plane and coming back, is not available to you every week.
0: Wait, I hope you're right. So with this live streaming by the best opera houses in the world, uh, 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 if it's really true that they will not threaten the other city's local opera houses, then it's the same analogy. Okay, with Amazon, all those mama papa retail stores are still going to thrive, which is not the case.
1: It's not the case. As I said, you're taking money out of someone else's pocket. You, the, the, you going to the theater took time and money from you going to San Francisco. And that was a choice you made, even though a lot of
0: the choices made by so many people. over. I get that. That's right. They chose Amazon over the local retailers and the local retailers all go. That
1: that 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 is absolutely the case. Uh, Well, look, here's one thing we know from Apple and Steve Jobs said it. And it's true. Convenience trumps all. Convenience trumps all. And we learned this with the iPod when it first came out, the music player. When that came out, the quality wasn't that good and it couldn't hold that many songs, <clears throat> but it held enough to be more convenient than any other method of music playing I had. Yeah. And it wasn't the highest quality and the ear things that they had weren't that good, but it was it was so convenient to have a few thousand songs in my pocket. That convenience trumped everything else, trumped quality. Okay, The convenience of you being able to go to the theater Tonight at 8 o'clock and for two hours close to your home, watch that opera and leave and watch it from New York. Mm-hmm. The convenience of that trumped everything else. And the convenience of Amazon, the convenience, not the price, the and not anything else. The convenience of I can order it this morning and have it here this afternoon for a lot of items or have it here tomorrow. That convenience save me time to go to the store, figure out if they even have the item. I don't. I can push a button right now, order it, it'll be here this afternoon, I'm done. That is wickedly convenient. I don't know if I got the best price. And frankly, I just don't have time to care. It's just I pushed a button, something will show up, that problem is solved, right? I could have gone to Home Depot and got that light bulb, but I can order them on Amazon and they show up for $5.
0: So speaking of innovation, if those local <clears throat> retailers, the brick and mortar uh opera houses or sh- just consumer stores want to survive they cannot compete on convenience they must compete on experience um sure customer experience so yeah, they absolutely have, yeah they have to go there to experience that you know which cannot be offered by just a box dropped at my door you know
1: that's right that's right and there are certain products that offer that kind of experience um Certain kinds of clothing has generally offered that experience, although Amazon's getting better and they're better with returns now. Groceries used to offer that experience, but now people have learned you can just order groceries, whether you order them locally or order them, whatever. Um, So I would say what we've learned from COVID is that humans are willing to generally live without that experience. It wasn't that important in most cases.
0: Um, As of now, but... I think there are people who are, more and more people are getting tired of this uh, locked up. Uh, uh, no, no,
1: no question. No yeah. question. But when you teach people a new trick, like order groceries online and they show up at your doorstop, doorstep two hours later, you've taught them a trick that they don't unlearn. They don't unlearn. And they used to say, well, the experience of going to the grocery store, but then they learn because they had to, to order groceries and then they go, well, sometimes I'll still do that. I might not do it all the time, but it's actually pretty darn convenient. Mm -hmm. We taught people new tricks, and we taught people the experience was good, but but I could live without it for a while.
0: Mm, Okay, yeah. So next, climate change. How do you address it? To what extent our traditional ways (coughs) of thinking, governing, investing, living must change and change Yeah,
1: well... This is a terrible topic. So, so, so look, the, the real issue is that we needed to address climate change around 1985 before any of us knew the term climate change. And um, it's in a runaway situation at this point. And as much as we have now you know, signed back on the Paris Climate Accord and the other accords and everything else, the truth is, is when you look at every country who signed up for all those accords, now multiple times, Kyoto, Paris, others, nobody's met any of their targets. Virtually no countries come even close and part of the reason is that it's easy for a government to sign up and say We're going to reduce our carbon emissions by 30% in five years But how do they get industry to actually do that? How do you actually force an industry to do that and in some industry they have no alternative like they must use Natural gas to burn something which generates you know methane co2 etc etc. So this is actually a fundamentally huge problem look we heat and cool our homes all of our buildings, all all up are about, including making of the buildings, if you look worldwide, about fifty-two percent of overall carbon emissions. Mm-hmm. Buildings. Mm-hmm. We don't think about it because the carbon emission is happening at some power plant, you know, a hundred miles from here, right? But I heat and cool the house and somewhere someone's burning coal or natural gas, maybe nuclear. Possibly um, uh, solar. There's much more of that now, but solar is a few percent of our overall energy usage. After years of, and it's cheaper and it's better. And but you have to have the space, and you you know it's all. We can just go down the line, right? So we're moving in the right direction, but we're not moving fast enough. We've never moved fast enough, and it's not just about us. Uh, China is still building coal plants. We've stopped in the U.S. and and you know they practically have to. They don't have natural gas resources. Um, In some of those areas, they just don't have the solar resources. They're building coal plants, still building coal plants. Mm -hmm. Coal plants, turn them all off. Well, you can't. And a coal plant lasts 50 or more years. So I I don't see a way out of this when no country has met any of their goals. Now, that's the negative in me. And the positive would say, but look at wind and solar and how cheap they've become. And solar, in many cases, is solar.
0: We really need to think about using nuclear power.
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm a big supporter of nuclear. Absolutely. The fact that we're turning off our, you know, nuclear power plant in California is ridiculous. Um, This is one place where it's very interesting. You know, you see the environmental, the environmentalists who said, get rid of nuclear power, it's dangerous. It's not, but fine. Mm -hmm. Um, And it turns out that by shutting down and not building nuclear power plants over the last 30 years, we, we permanently harmed the earth permanently harmed the earth by thinking that that was more dangerous than building coal plants and generating co2 which is what we did we built coal and natural gas because we couldn't build nuclear so for 30 or 40 years now
0: that loops back to my prior question lingering question is about this political process has permanently i'm quoting you harmed our mother earth this mm -hmm. political process has delayed even the bart for 20 plus years, right. when right. everybody else is building bullet train. I interviewed a, a, a commercial real estate developer last time. Okay, And he said the housing shortage in California is 120% responsible on the government part. The government created the housing shortage because of the, the process. So now I'm looking at this democracy that I came to this country because back in 1980s, I believed in this. The, the beacon on the hill, the, the, the American democracy. And now I'm looking back, it's like COVID failed. Well, environment, well, uh, you know, the, the race against the climate change, I, I don't think, we're, we're, as you said, we're too slow. No,
1: actually, no country is doing well in the race against climate change. That's the problem.
0: Okay, next question. <laughs> the, that leads to the, the sorry state of US politics. Okay. Do you think the two party system is collapsing into its own dead end? There are other democratic uh, political structures, the parliamentary systems. And I uh, um, wrote something about the ranked choice voting based on the Harvard right. professor's you know model. Right. It's right. used already by New York's mayoral election right. and another state's gov- governor's right. election. So, what do you think?
1: Yeah, ranked choice could work. Look. I think that um, well, people have to understand the two-party system, which has been around for some time, <clears throat> is is a very interesting system because it creates a, a situation uh, or early on in the election cycle, uh, during the during the primaries, that that in the end pushes the furthest left and furthest right candidate to be on top, and and that dog doesn't. That's that, that is a problem. Yes. <clears throat> That's a real problem because actually most Americans are generally centrists. Yeah. yeah. And so you can't get a centrist candidate. You, you can't get one through the primary system. The second thing is, is that Americans think that their vote actually counts. And um, in say a presidential election, it doesn't exactly count directly as we know. There is, uh, uh, there's all these systems in between, but in fact, even within a state, it's just a recommendation uh, uh, for the uh, uh, for for the representatives of the Electoral College that the state is going to send. Mm-hmm. And technically, and some states are talking about this, they're saying that they might send whoever they want. That is, the legislature can look at how the people voted, yet send representatives in the Electoral College to which they wish. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, that isn't technically illegal, perhaps, because the will of the people in this case is representative And it's just a suggestion to the party of who they want and who they should send. By the way, even a party could say, uh, they could, for example, um, in the next election maybe uh, everybody goes for uh, Kamala, I'm making it up, and and Biden's still on the ticket, let's just make that up. And the party could say, that's interesting, but um, we're putting up Biden. Thank you, America, for voting, we're putting up Biden. Because the parties themselves, you, all you did was vote for a party, the party can do what they want. Now, they're not supposed to, they shouldn't, but you're not actually voting for the candidate you think. So this whole system is, is messy uh, and, and it got put in place uh, to be able to uh, really fund two candidates, right? one on the right and one on the left and, and fund it wholeheartedly. So we really have to rethink the funding, rethink where the money comes from, re- rethink how companies can come in with millions of dollars and fund candidates, um, get it back to grassroots. Maybe nobody can give more than $1,000 and there are no PACs, get rid of PACs. I mean, you'd have to re-undo the whole system. Well, the only one who can undo the system is Congress, and Congress loves PAC money. <laughs> in fact, they love money. What's not to love? So the whole system is, uh, is built in a way that, in this case, the normal check and balance doesn't work, right? Because the just judici- the judicial side can't undo the fact that Congress likes these packs and likes uh, money, and, um, and and you know they a Congressperson has to go out and every two years, you know they're running again, right? They're running again,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and this is a problem. So they're always running. And to run, they always have to raise money. Yeah. So, you know, you get the emails. Please give a dollar. Please give five dollars. Okay. And I'm going, you just got elected. But they've got to start the cycle again. I know. Because that's their job. It's their only, and, and, and for career politicians, it's the only job they've ever known. They don't know what else to do. So all they do is raise money all the time. And uh, I don't know how that as gets As
0: long fixed. as politics and public positions are dependent on money, this democracy is... Is is, is well, to say the least. You know, it's all
1: we, all societies eventually blow up and have on earth. You know, Greek, Romans, uh, uh, just you know, go I, through it.
0: I I certainly hope that we the people will contribute to the to the survival and the sustainable future of our democracy. Well, who's we the
1: people? Uh, you know, some portion of we the people tried to bring down the entire government on January 6th. That's not you the people or me the people, but it is we the people, some of the people. <clears throat> Con- by the way, some of those people continue to think in the back of their mind or even in the front of their mind that the election was stolen. There's zero data on that. But Sorry, I- it's been tested in every state. Yeah. But but there are conspiracy theories and there are conspiracy theorists and they're not going to let go of their conspiracy they're the same people that won't take a vaccine
0: so i see all these problems the warning signs mm-hmm. the those people um i would say the education uh, our education system failed Fail. because yes. they, they 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 do not know how to critical think okay uh, and and the education system failed um to make them think this is a conspiracy and the anti-vax and all this uh Q&A. that's right. so that's right. w- what do you think of the future of america
1: i think that the educational system has absolutely failed uh 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 some of the people in this country <clears throat> you know and look i think um i think another thing i mean i think uh to be controversial right but you look at you know the shaman who broke into pelosi's office and all of that and wore the headdress and you know, when you listen to him talk, you're not hearing the highest IQ person, right? I mean, that and, and, and so, you know, other terrible things might have happened in his life. We don't know who the parents were. We don't know the education that he went through if he even graduated from high school. You know, everything went wrong with people like that. And, of course, they think everything went wrong with us, that we came through a collegiate system, a university system that warped our minds and made us all lefties or something like that. Right. So, so they they think war is crazy as we think they are crazy. And because of the rapid feedback loop of Facebook and, and social media today, we're no longer in a place where we can have a conversation like you and I really don't want to have a conversation with Mr. Shaman. Mm-hmm. He, he's a nutcase, right? Yeah. On the other hand, he doesn't actually want to converse with us. But if we don't sit down and have a conversation between humans that say, look, let's start with this. We're both Americans. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And we're all Americans. And, and we want a wonderful country. Okay, great. So we got to find some places where we share some common ground. Well, what, let's start to talk about what a wonderful country is. It's opportunity for you to have a job. You know, some of these people hadn't worked in years. That's another problem, right? They hadn't worked, they lost hope. Look at the people in the Middle East that get attracted to these radical groups. They're people who have no other hope. They have no hope of a job, no hope of an education, and the only hope they have is to go take up arms and get a gun with this crazy group and commit suicide somewhere and, and go to whatever place they're going to in the afterlife, right? Um, and a lot of that is true with these uh, QAnon folk. These are people who haven't worked in a long time. They were just looking for someone to follow. They got involved in a group that it was online like this, and all of a sudden they made f- like friends. And and they had they had an enemy. The common enemy, you know, was the government that was trying to. Put in place a, 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 someone that wasn't fairly elected. So in their mind, they were doing what was right, even though it's warped, and they could no longer see or hear the facts. Yes, they lost the ability to do so and lost the ability to critically think. That the number of people who would have had to in you know six or eight states who would have had to been in on changing this election stuff. The number of people and nobody ready. You know, it's impossible. It's yeah. just too many people would have had to keep that secret. You
0: know that's the biggest threat to our democracy, okay, and to American future. Okay? Now, last it's question:
1: not, It's not AI. It's not AI.
0: Not it's it's AI. It's the, it's the shaman and
1: the QAnons.
0: Yes, the ignorance of vastly <coughs> the educated yeah, the ignorance,
1: yes. and, ignoramus.
0: Oh yes. Now, last question: What does Kevin Soros brand stand for? <laughs> What <clears throat> do you want the world to remember you after you kick the
1: bucket? Well, well, first of all, I I, I hope I'm here remembering um, instead uh, uh, why I didn't kick the bucket and why the world is uh, is 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 doing what it's doing. So let's let's turn that around. It's a little bit like uh, like uh, the doctor saying, "What do you want me to remember me by when you die?" And it's like, well, actually, I want to see you dead first, right? So. <laughs> Uh, so, I would say uh, I would say this though, truly. Look, I think all you can do is try to have integrity in your life. That's all you can do is try to have integrity. Don't steal from people, don't steal their ideas, don't treat them badly. If you hear from someone that you haven't heard of from, I don't know, since high school, since kindergarten, doesn't matter, treat them with respect. Treat them with dignity. If they want something from you, try to give it to them. Give them the time of day. Give them the time that they need. Give them the respect as another human. There are too many people in this life that kind of uh, throw their friends away at different sections of their life. They get to this point and they go, I don't have, I don't have time for that group of friends, You know where I grew up. That, and I get that, but you know what? Just respect other people. Just respect and, and have integrity in your business. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, just have integrity. You know, and try to um, try to have a sense of purpose every day. Try to have a sense of purpose every day. And, and, and when people have a sense of purpose, you know what happens? They're not shaman, they're not QAnon, because they get up every day and they have a sense of purpose. My sense of purpose is, you know, I'm gonna help move things forward, or I've got this job to do, or I've gotta take care of my family, or I've gotta love my wife, or gotta love my kids, whatever it is, right? That's a sense of purpose. Have a sense of purpose. You have a sense of purpose every day for the companies that you work with. You go, okay, I've got to collect this information, I've got to do this, and I've got to work on this branding, and then I got to get it to the company. I got to change the way, maybe some of the direction of that company, so that they can be successful, and you will be successful in return. So, integrity, 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 and in this valley, in Silicon Valley, I can say, you know, when we've got uh, Elizabeth Holmes on trial for Theranos, and we've got the uh, you know, uh, this media company that just fell apart and I can just go down the line. You have a lot of people with getting a lot of money and literally lying about the business that they're doing. And this has gone on. This isn't the first time I've seen this for 20, 30 years. But uh, don't do that. Just build an honest business. And if you can't, give the money back. I'm sorry. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what I'm doing. Here's your money back. These are people's money. They earned it. They worked hard for it. The retirement funds, that's what's actually funding these companies. So high integrity, please, when you start your company, high integrity.
0: Integrity that's my and purpose. Well, thank you. It's great pleasure talking to you. I can go on and on, but we have we already exceeded our time um, by 10 minutes. We're,
1: we're already at three hours and 42 minutes. So it's... Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, okay. Uh, renaissance man still holds. on uh, renaissance man in the renaissance age <laughs> my branding of you excellent
1: i'll t- i'll take i'll take that brand because that's a 10 plus brand
0: <laughs> thank you so much i love it okay so you do take care and uh have a good day
1: thanks joanne thanks so much oh,
0: okay all right bye